gentlemen, welcome to the Dr. Script Show. We're talking about your favorite movies, what was good, what was bad, and how we can improve on things. We don't just talk about the problems, we give solutions to the problems. And with me today, joining up for this big, epic superhero fight... Dr. Sam! It's Patricia, actually. <laughs> I would appreciate it if you would call me by my... <laughs> what, what's up, guys? It's Barry. <laughs> all right, so, you know, I talk like this in street. All my, all my thoughts are very different from each other. And then speaking Spanish for some reason. Oh, man. Oh, man. Oh, man. Well, in case you guys didn't know, it's not a, it's not a split week. Uh, it's a glass week. Oh, man. Oh, man. What are... Uh, I, we've already talked a little bit about M. Night Shyamalan with The Happening and, yes. and such. Uh, but what are your thoughts on this weird trilogy of movies? The Unbreakable, Split, and Glass. I liked Unbreakable. I have not seen that in many, many years. <laughs> um, and then I saw Split in theaters. I really enjoyed it. And the whole time I was like, man, I, I really hope they don't go with him actually having superpowers and stuff. That'd be stupid. And then they did it. And I was like, oh, man, why? This is so Shyamalan. And then oh, there was a twist that it includes the Unbreakables movie. And then I was like, all right, all right. I I get it. You, you got me, Shyamalan. And now with Glass, I was very excited. It came out earlier this year. It was like the first movie, second movie I saw this year. <laughs> My first movie was Escape Room. I think it was literally the first movie that got released this year, too. Escape Room? Yeah, or... I, think it, I think it was the very first weekend of January. Yeah, I think you're right. Uh, Glass was the second weekend or third weekend of January. Right. So I was still, like, very optimistic, being like, you know, 2019's going to be a great year. And then Glass came out. <laughs> I mean, listen, you started the year off one for one, and then you went one for two. <laughs> so I... Was very disappointed by this movie. I was expecting a lot more. I was like, Shaman's back. He's going to Jordan Peele this. He's going to be great. And not so much. Yeah, I uh, agree. I love Unbreakable. It's honestly close to my favorite Shaman right behind Sixth Sense. Oh, not against, uh, <laughs> not with Avatar? I know not, you're a huge fan of that movie. Not quite the last Airbender levels, but Unbreakable is <laughs> one of those things that I think people, and it's going to be, you know, one of those asshole things to say but it didn't really get very well at the time because like it people were not expecting the twist to be this drama about like more this like kind of weird supernatural drama is actually a superhero origin movie and it, it was it was a cool twist to me i thought it was an interesting idea to try and do a like a more straightforward grounded superhero type thing and then split came out and uh i didn't like it as much as most people did the 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 Metacritic score and IMDb score for Split is equal to the score on Unbreakable. Mm. And I think the Unbreakable score should be higher, and I think the Split score should be lower, because I I thought it was okay. I was just like, I don't know, just felt like a, a, a boring horror movie that just happened to include the dialogue from Night Shyamalan, yeah. which is questionable at best most of the time. I really enjoyed Split. Um, I had a lot of twists and turns with that. You really sympathize with... The main girl and the, her co-leads, uh, I guess. The yeah. other cheerleaders they were, right? Uh, they, they're all, like, that? people. They're, like, it was the popular girls from high school, and then right. she was, like, you know, the, the odd friend out. Yeah. Um, but fucking James McAvoy just kills it in that movie. And to be fair, he kills it in this movie, too. Yes, like, he, ki- he killed it in Split, and, like, 
I do think that if this movie had been released like July or later, there would have been an underground like Oscar like campaign for him. Mm. But because it was released in January of that year, it would have taken him an entire like 12, 13 months of momentum. And like the only thing recently that did that was Black Panther, but that like James McAvoy's not quite at the Marvel level yet. No, not yet. <laughs> but yeah, then we He's get more to, of a dark Phoenix guy. Oh, no. I mean he is. And then we get to Glass, which I was also excited for because they were going more in the... Uh, it felt like they were going more in the Unbreakable direction where it's like the more superhero grounded drama right. than the kind of you know weird horror movie of Split. And I was excited for that. And they did their own third type of thing for Glass and I didn't like it. No. Yeah. Uh, I guess I should qualify. There are parts that I really do like. Like M. Night Shyamalan is a filmmaker... <laughs> where I think he has some really strong ideas and he has strong ways of executing some of those ideas. And then he remembers that he's so good at so many things and he's like, I can do anything. (laughs) And then his hubris gets the better of him and then we get split in glass. Yeah, I mean, glass is not his worst film at all, especially with his filmography. Glass is a weird, mediocre entry. Like, he's either got really good movies or really bad movies, and there's really nothing in between. And Glass is kind of the the one mediocre entry, besides, for me personally, Split, that I can think of. Those those two just live in the middle for me. Yeah. Well, well, well did you ever see The Village? Yeah, I think it's bad. Okay. Yeah. That one's the <laughs> one where people are lukewarm about, and then same with uh, Signs. Signs is bad. Yeah. I, I think Signs is bad. I haven't seen Signs. I've only seen people review Signs and be like, what? The water and aliens? What? This is stupid. He does a really good job with tension, but character development is not tension. Plot is not tension. Logic is not tension. So just because I feel tension for the parts of the movie that are horror or thriller doesn't make up for the fact that, I mean, obviously I don't give a shit about Mel Gibson. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and... Joaquin Phoenix is just, it's a weird addition to the movie. The kids are like, n- not at the level of Hilary Joel Osment in Sixth Sense. Because, yeah. and it's, it's, I don't like to, you know, you know, compare everything because every movie should be its own thing. But he's got, you know, two great movies in Sixth Sense Unbreakable. And then everything else after that is, I think, is bad. Then you get to The Visit, and I think that's really, really good. And then you get to Split. And uh, and the last, which are somewhere in the middle, and then you have Lady in the Water. <laughs> no, we know <laughs> that that one might honestly be potentially the worst. The Last Airbender is probably officially the worst, but I could see people making a case for Lady in the Water, and I would not disagree. I wonder if you could, if we could take someone that has never watched Avatar: The Last Airbender mm-hmm. and have get their take on it, you know, be from the Shyamalan yeah. movie and not seeing the cartoon it and then watching Lady in the Water and see what they think. I think it'd be really hard to get somebody unbiased who like doesn't know the stigma of Last Airbender and who also hasn't watched the cartoon, especially 10 years after that movie got made. Yeah. So we're coming up on the 10th anniversary of The Last wow, Airbender. Oh, damn, that's wild. Uh, okay, well, but, uh, I uh, guess we should bring it back to glass now, talking, um... Yeah. Yeah, should we just jump into it? Uh, we should quickly just summarize the first two movies in case people don't know the plot of glass, just okay. in case. Uh, Unbreakable, uh, a train crash happens, and only one person survives, but the weird thing is that he comes out completely unscathed, 
Everybody died on the train, but he has no scratches on him, no brain damage, no nothing. And he walks out, and he's fine. And slowly over the course of his movie, he realizes that he has super strength and invulnerability, so he can't get hurt, and he's super strong, and he also has a power where when he touches people, he can see, like, their futures, and he uses that to try and track down evil people. Uh, And it turns out throughout the movie, uh, he's been aided by Samuel L. Jackson, who has, like, a gallery of comic book art. And it turns out Samuel L. Jackson went crazy one day and uh, decided to try and figure out if superheroes were real. So he staged, like, a dozen, like, like horrific events to try and see if anybody would survive or, like, show their powers. Uh, and he, he wanted to do that because he has this disease, which is basically brittle bones disease, where anything that touches him could break any of his bones. And by the end of it, uh, uh, David Dunn, played by Bruce Willis, uh, puts Samuel L. Jackson's Mr. Glass character in jail. Uh, Bruce Willis decides he's going to be a vigilante for the city of Philadelphia. And that's basically where Unbreakable ends. And then Split opens up with these high school girls finishing up a birthday party, and they get abducted from walking from the, like, I don't know, fucking Chuck E. Cheese to the car. <laughs> and so now they are trapped inside this, um, it's a zoo. I, I could go yeah. into zoo. It's, it's it the looks basement of a zoo. The basement of a zoo. And the guy who abducted him is, has multiple personality disorders where he's got 15 personalities? 24. Okay, 24. Oh, we only see a few of them. We don't see all of them. And some are good personalities, some are bad and uh, they, the bad personalities are talking about how they're going to uh, release the Beast, which is like this um, very superhuman, demon-like personality that they have or something like that that they've never experienced before. And the girls keep trying to figure out if this is like real or not, and um, eventually it turns out that the Beast is real and that this guy has super powers basically where he gets super strength if you shoot him he doesn't get hurt he can climb up walls and eat people from the stomach it's, it's, it's a thing he does sometimes yeah you know i feel like it's a burrito you need you need to start on one end you can't go in the middle yeah and it's like this whole uh all the personalities basically like live in this cult where either half of them love the beast and want the beast to rise and to you know be the leader of the personalities and there's another faction that want kevin the original person to be in charge and because he's the regular guy right and like they they want to suppress all the other personalities and just let kevin live a normal life and by the end he kills all the girls except for the main girl uh played by anya taylor joy i think her name's casey Mm -hmm. in the movie and uh he the uh finds out that they have both have traumatic pasts where uh the kevin's mom used to abuse him which all the personalities feel and uh, Casey's uncle used to abuse her. So the, when the Beast sees that they have this same connection, he decides to let her go, uh, be free, and it, he says that like she's special because they're they're both broken. Right. But it basically ends with uh, the Kevin and the Beast and all the personalities escaping, and then we find out through like a kind of post credit scene that Bruce Willis's character is watching the TV and sees that the the beast has escaped. Yep, and so it ends with Bruce Willis, like, taking a sip of coffee, the beast being loose in the city of Philadelphia, and now we open to our movie right now, Glass. 
And uh, for all who also just want to skip our summaries, uh, you can check the show notes and see where we start talking about where we're going to fix the movie. If you don't want to see how we describe Glass, but stay around, you know? It's good. You're going to have a great time. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So the movie opens with this dude getting sucker punched in the face. Literally. Um, Just (laughs) boom. And the um, the guy who's getting hit just... Lays on the floor, like, he's on the pavement, can't do anything about it, and the guy who punched him is like, yeah, you just been Superman punched, bro! And we find out someone's been recording him, when another standby comes to try and help, and the two douchebag prank bros run off and end up being into their house. And now they're in the house, they're fucking around and stuff, they're like, yo, dude, that was such a good hit, man, that was like, that was so cool, bro. And... They hear in the house this creaking noise opening. And they're like, who's there? Who's there? And they're like, oh, it's probably just a raccoon, you know? But out of the shadows stands a figure in a poncho. And they're like, what? Who? What are you doing, man? Get out of here. We'll beat the shit out of you. Actually, what do they say? They well, say, uh, don't make me salt bay you. Yeah. Oh, my. Um, <laughs> so the guy... Says that, walks over, and the hooded figure beats him up. The other guy stands up and is like, hey, what's going on? And he sees the figure, and he's like, oh, my God, it's you. And then we cut away to the street, and we see that it's Bruce Willis's character from Unbreakable. Yep. And he just fought these guys because it's like, you shouldn't beat people up on the streets and record it. Yeah. And you, it's not smart of you to record a crime and then upload it to YouTube. Yeah. <laughs> it's very bad. Yeah. But he goes into a store that he owns with his son. It's like a security system store. And basically, he and his son at this point are like a, a duo where the his son is like the guy in the chair. Mm-hmm. The, who, He's the Alfred yeah. to the Batman. And David comes back and they have a discussion about what Salt Bay is. Yeah. And this is the shit that drives me nuts about um, Shyamalan, like just these random like pop culture references yeah. that I don't think if we watch this movie in 20 years is going to hold up. No. Does he do that in uh, Unbreakable where he just like, oh yeah, that uh, what was no, fucking they, popular in the 90s? It's not like it's a pop culture. It's, a, it's like a tangent. It's uh, it's similar to this to what Tarantino does where he you know, has characters talk about random things to like mm. establish their character. Right. Or, like establish something about them. But I don't think Shyamalan realizes that you're supposed to establish character when you have side tangents. Right. So... It's like, and Bruce Willis is like, what's Salt Bay? And the kid explains it to him for a few seconds. And, but through the interaction, you realize, you know, they've been doing this for years. Uh, people have finally decided to give Bruce Willis's character like a superhero name called the Overseer. Which is badass. Pretty That's cool name. Yeah. And, I mean, for a guy in a poncho, they make him <laughs> really cool. We find out that he's been doing a lot more of his superhero activities because... Uh, the the horde, uh, which is the, what they call the collection of personalities that Kevin has, has been on the loose for three weeks. So it's three weeks since the end of Split. Nice. Uh, and basically, the the son kind of has an idea of where he thinks the horde will be. And Bruce Willis is like, "All right, I'm going to check that out tomorrow." But after I watch Salt Bay. Oh, boy. And for people who don't know, Salt Bay is a guy that cuts meat in certain ways and salts it like a. How do you describe this motion? You can't even because it's a physical thing. Yeah. Just Google Salt Bay and you'll understand. the The point is they were trying to be like internet famous, and they used a meme as their point of reference to say they're going to beat somebody up. 
Which, yeah, the, the saying just doesn't make any sense. How Salt Baying, that guy doesn't beat his food. <laughs> like, he doesn't season yeah, his food by punching it. Meanwhile, <laughs> uh, we do find out that uh, uh, the it's hard to describe. It's just call one character. The Horde okay. is, uh, has We could just say uh, James McAvoy. Yeah, James McAvoy. Yeah. James McAvoy has, in fact, kidnapped four cheerleaders and is keeping them hostage in a brick factory. Uh, or like an abandoned brick factory, and he's just been keeping them there for a couple days now, and he's... But different personalities keep coming out. So, you know, the... Uh, Patricia comes out and tries to be all motherly. Uh, Hedwig comes out and is like, hey, girls, I have a girlfriend, and he's like rollerblading around. He's like, I like Drake now. Oh, God, again, with the pop culture. That, those, those things I was like, back-to-back, which is killing me. Ugh. And, uh, and basically he's saying what we knew from Split is that he's gathered these girls together because they have sinned and they are impure and the beast is going to cure them of their impurities by being sacrificed to him. Okay. Yeah, good good job. Yeah, the people that didn't see Split are now all cut up. That's also the thing about this movie. If you did not see Unbreakable or Split, you have no idea what's happening. Yeah, yeah, this is pretty confusing, I would say. Because um, Bruce Willis like has like that future sight power you just see him use it. Nobody ever explains what it is. So it's just, you see him later on the next day after the obligatory M. Night Shyamalan cameo, (laughs) Bruce Willis goes on his walk and starts bumping into a bunch of guys. But you don't, if you don't, haven't seen the movie, you don't know why he's just bumping into these construction dudes because he's trying to sense to see if any of them are, uh, have anything to do with the brick factory and at some point, he, you know, calls his son. He's like, hey, I don't think anything's happening. But at that exact same time, James McAvoy, as the Hedwig personality, who's like a nine-year-old boy, bumps into him, and he sees the future and sees Hedwig just sitting down around the corpses of these four girls, <laughs> trying to talk to them, not realizing that the Horde has killed them, or are, the Beast has killed them. Are they dead in this? Because I, I think he's seeing the future, because, like... okay. They're all, like, slumped over in chairs. There would be a weird way to, like, have them be unconscious. I guess that's true. Anyways. Uh, yeah, so Bruce Lewis sees this. He decides, hey, I'm going to figure out where these girls are and save them because Hedwig is going into the sewers, or not sewers, like the underground homeless area of Philadelphia. Because that's where he's transforming into the beast. Exactly. Yeah, and <laughs> it's not, it's, I can't tell if it's supposed to be somewhat funny. Well, the homeless people are just like, dude, what are you? And then the beast is like, I am the beast. And I, I don't know if he kills those homeless guys or not. I think we're supposed to imply that he did kill them. Oh, dude, poor guys. They just they can't catch a brick. We're just trying to live under a bridge. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, the transformation to the beast happens. At the same time, Bruce Willis uh, gets into the factory, uh, get, releases the girls from their chains, and is about to walk them out of there when... All of a sudden, on the ceiling, they see something climbing towards them. Oh, no. It's the beast! And the beast now lands in front of all the girls and Bruce Willis and just is snarling at him, being like, oh, I'm going to get you. And Bruce Willis says, run! And the girls run off, and <laughs> they have, like, a Bruce Willis and the beast, like, fight a little bit, but then it ends with um, the beast just doing a bear hug <laughs> with Bruce Willis and Bruce Willis like slowly walking the other way. To be fair, is a realistic portrayal of how their powers would work because oh, yeah. Bruce Willis can't be broken. But <laughs> you just see a giant like 
like hunky dude just like yeah. around Bruce Willis and he's just oh, slowly lumbering. It looks like a piggyback ride. Like James McAvoy could just be like, wee! And <laughs> but yeah, he Bruce Willis uh, goes as fast as he can to the edge of the building to a window and he like jumps out the window and but because the, you know James McAvoy's in beast mode, he he's on he's unhurt by the fall. Bruce Willis is obviously unhurt by the fall. They're about to start fighting again when all of a sudden this bright light flashes. Uh oh! And the beast personality goes away, and one of the other ones pops up and is like, "Hey man, what are you doing? Like I'm 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 okay." And uh, Sarah Paulson just walks out and is like, "It's okay, guys. Don't shoot them. We need to take these guys in for treatment or whatever." And sure enough, she takes them in. To a uh, to like a, an insane asylum, mm-hmm. and right before we get a bunch of exteriors of this insane asylum, and then we just lay on this one water jug. We're like, hmm, sorry, like a water hill. It's like a filtration like thing. Yeah. You know, it, it's it's outside for whatever reason. It's just sitting there, and we look at it for a little bit, <laughs> and we're like, all right, that that holds water in it. Cool. <laughs> And we go to the different people. We see the Horde, James McAvoy, in one room. And we see Bruce Willis in another room. And Bruce Willis's um, room is full of these, like, firefighter water pumps. That That's his, uh, like, okay. kryptonite, basically. The other thing that should have been explained is... Uh, Bruce Willis's weakness is water. Yeah. Similar to the aliens in science. <laughs> I don't know if anybody put those together. <sighs> yeah, the, M. Night has a fear of water, I think. Um, side tangent. M. Night Shyamalan tried to tell people he had a water fear and made up a whole story about how he was almost drowned as a kid. Mm-hmm. But it was all fake. So he made up his own backstory of why he hates water. <laughs> wow. Yeah. And the only person that can disprove that was M. Night Shyamalan. So I think at one point he, he's at a documentary or an interview, and he's like, oh, yeah, I made that up. And it's like, buddy, buddy. buddy. <laughs> I, I, he, so the fire hoses are there pointing at Bruce Willis. And uh, the woman therapist named Ellie Stapler, yeah. um, also played by what's her Sarah, face? Paulson. Sarah Poslin, tells him, like, hey, like, just so you know, this is like a mental thing. Like, you really don't have powers and neither, neither does anyone else. And Bruce Wallace is like, lady, we had a whole movie talking about this. <laughs> I don't know if we need to do this again. And she's like, no, no, we need to do this again. And we cut to... The Horde slash Jay McAvoy's room, and there's all these bright flashing lights that go off to get different personalities to come out. And uh, Miss Staples there talking to her and talking to the Horde. And the Horde is just still trying to get out at this point where they're running, trying to jump and just get flash. Um, one thing I thought about, why doesn't the Horde just close their eyes? And, and run? Close their eyes or walk backwards. So, like, you're walking backwards to the front door and having your eyes closed? Well, if you walk, if you walk backwards, you will still see the light. But I do get that if you just close your eyes and, like, put your hand over. Yeah. Like, you'll be, you should, they should be fine. Exactly. And then you just get the beast out, throw the door open. Doesn't look like there's a lot of security on that. <clears throat> the point of that is that the, the beast has to come out first and he's not that smart. So I'm sure he wouldn't think to do that. I mean, the, do you have to really be that smart to push open, push a door? Maybe. <laughs> the raptors did it in Jurassic Park. <laughs> raptors are smarter than the beast. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, there's just a couple scenes and it's like a lot of cross-cutting where basically Sarah Paulson's character explains that 
she thinks that they just have delusions that they are superheroes or that they have powers, that they're logical explanations for everything, and that she has a few days to try and talk to them. Then later on, we see uh, a point-of-view shot of a different person in the insane asylum, Hmm. and a, a doctor assistant person comes in to help him, and we see a hand reach out to grab a cup, and it's a familiar hand with some uh, stitches and some uh, uh, wounds that have been healed. And I guess that's basically where we find out that Mr. Glass is also in the asylum. What? Mr. Glass is in this movie? That's named Glass? It's taken a long time, though, for him to show up and hit the movie that's named after him. I know. <clears throat> and uh, I, when I was watching this for a second time, I noticed that Samuel Jackson got the and credit. Yeah. And the and, man, the and credit has haunted me so much. So <laughs> many bad stories. Yes. Um, side, uh, other side tangent. Um, I was very excited for the 2014 Godzilla because it had Brian Cranston in it. Mm-hmm. And as we were watching it in the theaters, Sam pointed out to me that Cranston got the and credit. And I was like, what do you mean? And he's like, well, usually the and credit means that they're not in the movie as much. So I don't know. I'm sure he's fine. Spoilers for Godzilla 2014. Brian Cranston dies in the first 20 minutes. Yeah, and the whole marketing like was surrounding Brian Cranston. Which you know made sense. He was coming on the tail end of Breaking Bad, and they were trying to capitalize on that. But yeah, the the, the marketing, also the main character is Aaron Taylor Johnson, who's like Quicksilver in the Avengers movie, and uh, he's in a bunch of other stuff. Yeah, he's but he's not ass. in any of the marketing no. for Godzilla, and he's the main character. Yeah. So ever since then, the end credit has always haunted me. I got really worried because in uh, Infinity Wars, um, Chris Pratt had the end credit, yeah. and I was like, oh, no, don't do this to me, Marvel. Well, but, I mean, technically, in Infinity War. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I get yeah. it. But. Uh, but yeah, so Samuel Jackson got the end credit. He shows up like half an hour into the movie named after him, and he also doesn't even really show up. The first shot you see of him is just a hand, so you don't actually <laughs> see him. Uh, but then there's a scene where uh, Sarah Paulson talks to Samuel Jackson's mom, uh, and she like talks to her and is like, you know, he's not a danger anymore. You've been sedating him. He's okay. Uh, he always talked about comic books. You, you know, you, you. It's weird. She's like, you shouldn't worry. But then at the very end, she's like, you should worry. <laughs> Because he, he's a mastermind always has a plan. Exactly. Even though he's on these incredibly sedative drugs, you should still be worried. And so uh, Dr. Ellie Staple takes this note and decides to have them all three in a room. Well, I think that comes... A, Is there, that, am I forgetting something in between? It's hard to tell the order of things because also some of these scenes don't really matter the order. Right. I'm just going to do like the, the three people that come to visit Sarah Paulson where there's first okay, uh, sure. Mr. Glass's mom... And then Stephen, or the yeah, Bruce's the son, uh, come, uh, Bruce Willis' son comes to visit, and instead, and takes a different tactic where she's like, no, no, no. he's like, no, 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 what you thought he was doing, he doesn't actually have super, he doesn't actually think he has superpowers, he's got all these other crazy explanations for things, and then she's like, so you've been helping your dad do superhero stuff, right? And he's like, uh, I don't know, it's. Uh, is basically a scene where she gets to talk to him and try and explain to him that he just really wants his dad to be a superhero because, you know, he's always wanted to have that dad figure. His mom died uh, recently, which is a way to get Robin Wright out of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> then they flash back to a scene. 
which might have been shot for Unbreakable. I don't actually know because it has oh, the, the kid. Yeah, I think it was. It. Yeah, basically, we see a uh, uh, kid, Bruce Willis's son, talking to Bruce Willis, and he's like, you know, I finally figured out, you know, what you're that this is your alter ego, like you're meant to save people, and that's what it's all about. And the kid in the present's like, yeah, he is all about that. And then the third visitor that comes is Casey, the character that uh, the Beast let set free um, in, From in Split. Split. And she gets told by her principal that uh, that uh, James McAvoy has been captured and he's being held in uh, an asylum. And she decides after school to go visit him. And she talks to uh, Sarah Paulson. And she's like, yeah... Uh, Kevin and all the personalities think that they're a superhero. She's like, what? It, no, those, those things happened. He turned into a beast. He climbed on walls. He, he like, ripped open, like, prison or, like, zoo cage bars. Like, this, ha- this has to be real. And she's like, the only way that he got, you got through to anybody was, was, you know, you were able to do it. And so she goes to visit uh, Kevin and all the personalities. And I think Hedwig tries to talk to her. I think Barry and Patricia both try to talk to her. Then finally, Casey goes and touches uh, the Kevin's arm, and mm-hmm. Kevin comes to the surface, and she finally gets to talk to him after three whole weeks. Yeah. <laughs> it's a thing that these two, it's been three weeks since uh, since the split incident. Well, she also just mentions like because uh, in Split, her uncle sexually abused her as a kid, mm-hmm. and then she ends up living with the uncle because the parents die. And she explains, like, yeah, I, I stood up to my uncle, and now I'm in foster care and all that. And I'm like, damn, you had a crazy month. Yes. <laughs> you had stuck with this crazy lunatic, and then you, you know, good for you for outing your fucking terrible uncle. Oh, yeah. But, oh, my God, now you're in foster care? Like, yeah. Jesus. There's uh, a lot going on in your life. But, yeah, she and Kevin have that moment where she's where he's, like, super proud of her, and uh, Kevin's happy to talk to her, but at some point... Someone else breaks through, and she walks out of there, and Sarah Paul's like, hey, you should stick around with us so we can do some more experiments, So, because you're the only one that can, uh, that can like, get him out right. into the open. And she's like, nah, peace out. Peace out, Girl Scout. Yep. And, yeah, so she heads out, and I think this is the point where we have all three of them together. Yeah, basically at this point, uh, which is the core of the movie, which we'll get to is what I want more of. Yeah. Uh, all three of them are in a room together with uh, Sarah Paulson's character. And basically throughout this scene, Sarah Paulson tells every all three of them everything that they've done so far and that there are logical explanations for everything that's happened. That, uh, uh, you know, that David has actually, when, when he thinks he has these future powers, he actually has seen clues uh along the way that actually lead him to the, the things that he's smarter than he thinks. He just is calling them powers instead of uh, logical deductive reasoning. Uh, then all the stuff with the beast being able to be super strong. She's like, the Philadelphia Zoo cages were built in the 1800s. Those are easily manipulated. I got, you know, he's like, I got shot by a shotgun. And she's like, yeah, that was also some old wet bullet casings. And she does a solid job of trying to convince them that they're not super people. Yeah, they do. Um, part of the complaint I have with this movie is, like, we've done this. We've done this in two movies for yeah. each of these characters. Why are we doing this again? Oh, these people know that they have powers, basically. But, I mean, 
I guess Bruce Willis gets a little confused. And I mean, I know Kevin or James McAvoy gets confused, and then Glass is just like, "Fuck this." <laughs> Because, yeah, also the thing with Mr. Glass this whole time is that he's basically just been comatose. Yep. Like, um, like awake, but not able to move because they keep sedating him with so many things because he's just too smart and they know that he'll outwit them. So they just keep giving him more and more drugs to keep him sedated. And he's just basically this, like, staring, drooling figure. And they don't really need to explain anything to him. But it's a, it's a long scene where they talk for a while. But it's for me, it's a strong, effective one where we get to see all of them in a room together trying to interact. No, I, th- I think it is one of the better scenes because that's what we were sold on is these three all being together and, uh, you know, duking it out. Mm-hmm. But anyways... So then at night, uh, we we get, you know, it's the kind of the night guy, the, the asshole night guard who looks at Mr. Glass and is like, I could just break this flashlight over your leg and no one would care. And then he drops it and the last second catches it trying to, like, catch Mr. Glass and be like, I'm watching you, mm-hmm. and he leaves, and it turns out he was right, because uh, Mr. Glass is not sedated at all. Nope. He is in full form, thinking and being outsmarting others. So at the point where this doctor leaves, the other nurse or whatever comes in, and the guy, the nurse starts chatting up the cop, and Mr. Glass takes this opportunity to roll out <laughs> and check everyone's files. He goes through Kevin's files, and he's looking at it, and he's like, hmm, very interesting. Uh, Kevin Clinkamount, or what's the... Kevin Wendell Crumb. Wendell Crumb. And then he checks out the parents, uh, looks a bit more into it, and then he just glass throws the papers everywhere, papers up in the air, and he's just grabbing his forehead like, what? What is going on? He looks at the security footage and notices the nurse is coming in, so he, like, rolls... He rolls into Kevin's room, Mm -hmm. and he makes a deal with him, saying, like, hey, I see what you are, and I want to see the beast. Um, Meet me here. Be ready tomorrow night to escape. And then uh, I think it's Patricia that's in there who has the light. She's like, "Mm, for for your sake, I hope the beast likes you. And uh, they basically, he goes back to bed. Well, he goes back to bed, but later on, uh, Sarah Paulson pulls him out of bed and is like, we saw you wandering around last night. We're going to give you this, you know, the surgery that we've been telling you will finally take away your delusions of grandeur. And, uh, yeah, it happens. There's, like, a whole, like, laser beam that, like, shoots into his brain. And, you know, you think that he's fully actually like sedated at this point so now we cut back to uh, it's like the morning or afternoon after all this has happened and the nurse the man nurse comes in and is like hey glass uh, sorry about that but you seem to be doing better and he sits down gets eye level with glass and then out of nowhere it's just a glass just cuts his throat with a piece of glass Uh, (laughs) it's like they said the title yeah look at that and so now the nurse is bleeding out his throat and the glass is just like oh man you don't know how many times how many pieces i had to go through to find the perfect one he throws it into this other pile of glass so much glass glass everywhere (laughs) the glass Uh, is in it more than mr (laughs) glass but then we see like a flashback that shows that uh mr glass wanted to get caught but he first went tampered with the machine that was supposed to give him the surgery uh and then he went back to the files and uh turned on the security cameras and just was like playing around he's like i needed to be like here for this moment so that you thought i was uh sedated and you know not a menace anymore 
And then with that, the only person who was watching him, he breaks out, gets to Kevin's room, and is like, it's time to see the beast. And I believe, does Bruce Willis see all this happening? No. Okay. Bruce Willis takes a nice long break for a while. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, this, this sequence takes a while, because we go, you know, for all the stuff with Mr. Glass and all the stuff with him, him teaming up with James McAvoy that, you know, Bruce Willis' character is just sad because he... Is, he's really starting to doubt the fact that he actually has superpowers right. and that everything he's been doing, he actually thinks he's just been hallucinating or he's just been exaggerating in his own mind what he's been able to do. And so, yeah, they're out and about now. It's at this point that, like, he... Uh, uh, that they, like, go to this other room where uh, Mr. Glass talks to Hedwig, uh, one of the, the child personality in Kevin's body, and, like, tells him that he's, you know, beautiful and amazing and is really complimentary and is... It's actually kind of a nice moment. He's like, this is great, but I need to see the beast. And the beast comes out and just starts climbing on the wall just to prove that he's the beast. Weird flex, but okay. Uh, And then he comes down and he just kind of looks at Mr. Glass and asks him why he's in the wheelchair. He's like, I have this brittle bones disease where I, uh, you know, if, if anybody touches me, I will break, but I don't let that stop me. And he's like, you are broken, which means you are chosen. <laughs> and sure enough, yep, they enact this plan and uh, they go into like the the personal items room because there's a sign that says personal items room. And it's at this point where Mr. Glass uh, is spotted by the asshole nurse who walks in and is like, hey, what are you doing, Glass? And he wheels in, and he's wearing his purple suit from Unbreakable, like his supervillain suit. And right behind the asshole nurse, drops down the beast and just crushes him. Like, does the bear hug that he did to Bruce Willis earlier, but You hear some snaps. You hear some spines going bad. You hear some bones cracking. It's not good. Oh, um, yeah. So now this nurse is dead, and... um. I guess we also sort of skimmed over Glass's plan about going to the skyscrapers. Oh, yeah. the uh, Mr. Glass's plan is to expose superheroes as real things. And what he's going to do is uh, take uh, the Horde, the Beast, over to the this new building that's about to open in Philadelphia. That's going to be the tallest building in America. And basically, uh, he'll show off his powers there. While meanwhile, Mr. Glass is going to set off a bunch of explosives within the building to show that supervillains are also real <laughs> and it's kind of just going to be their way of, of proving their their metal and yeah so they have that plan they go down to the basement to try and escape uh, the I think Patricia's in control right now and she puts on like a nurse's outfit and just pretends like she's pushing them around uh, some people are curious and they call Sarah Paulson's character and she notices that something's happening and I think it's at that exact same moment where all three of the the side characters from before show up at the hospital. And so they did they did Joseph contact him, Bruce Willis's kid, because uh, Joseph has also gone through oh, and yeah. read uh, Ke- Kevin's parents' uh, info and also had the moment of throwing papers yeah. up in the air and being like, "What?" Yeah, and Kevin, we don't know it yet. Yeah, Bruce Willis's son finds out something very important about. Uh, uh, Kevin's family, and uh, and he comes there with information. Uh, I think Casey comes there trying to explain, trying to convince Sarah Paulson that superheroes are real because she went to a comic book store and kind of tried to figure out that there have been premonitions of these things happening. 
Uh, and Mr. Glass's mom just shows up because she's like, fuck it, I want to see my son, I, I guess. see my baby. Uh, and they're all there trying to convince Sarah Paulson, but that's when she sees the message that uh, Mr. Glass and James McAvoy have escaped. They are basically on their way out. Uh, James McAvoy kills some more security guards on the way. Classic him. Uh, and they're out front now. And it's, uh, oh, and, and before then, Mr. Glass actually gets on uh, the loudspeaker and talks to Bruce Willis and says, come on, if you think that you're the real superhero that you are, you're not going to let some doctor tell you that you're anything less than, than super. If you don't have any strength, then you should just hit that door and just break your bones, because that's what's going to happen. And Bruce Willis takes some time to think about that. And he thinks about it for a good 10 to 15 minutes off <laughs> And he does it, and he busts down the door, and he's like, I have powers. Boom. Self-doubt was a very short-lived thing. Yep, even... Ah, let's just keep going. Yeah, so the Mr. Glass and James McAvoy get out. Uh, there's some security guards there, and he James McAvoy takes them down. Uh, Mr. Glass is like, come on, we got to get to the building. And it's at that point that all the side characters run out. And that's even when Samuel L. Jackson just looks at them and says, the main characters have arrived. Because <laughs> it's also another thing in this movie that does need to be established, that every time they talk about comic book lore, they, like, address exactly what is happening, but through the lens of a comic book movie, or, like, just a comic book itself. It's like, you know, there's... <laughs> uh, Mr. Glass's mom is like, my son told me about this thing called the showdown is where the, the hero and the villain meet up in some place where everyone can see them and they just state exactly what's happening as if like saying the tropes make it better to use the tropes yeah Ugh. but yeah so as James McAvoy is distracted by the security guards Bruce Willis comes out in his uh, in his uh, trademark green poncho that's like his overseer outfit and from there, the he and the beast get into a big fight. The other inmates are like, what's going on? What's going on? And other nurses and stuff are uh, herding them into other places. There's a big one-two fight, punchings going all over the place. And uh, eventually the SWAT team shows up. But yeah. it's like a different SWAT team. Yeah, they, they say Philadelphia SWAT, but they seem like they know what they're doing here. Yeah, exactly. It's a bit, mm, it's a bit sus. <laughs> But basically, after David and uh, uh, after Bruce Willis and James McAvoy fight each other, they're surrounded by the SWAT team, and they have to fight off their own SWAT members. And James McAvoy just rips the throat out of one guy. Oh, God, that's right. And Mr. Glass yells at him and is like, uh, uh, David's weakness is water. Do you see that giant water tank over there? Throw him in the water. And just as James McAvoy is about to climb up on the van and pounce on Bruce Willis... Uh, Bruce Willis' son steps in the middle and he's like, hold on, there's something that you need to know. Kevin's dad didn't just die in any kind of accident. Kevin's dad died on the train that killed everybody with my father and the one that was orchestrated by Mr. Glass. Dun, dun, dun. And James McAvoy hops down from the van and is like, is this true? And Mr. Glass is like, my superpower is to make superheroes. <laughs> And that's basically what he says. And James McAvoy is like, "I appreciate you being able to uh, to show me to show me to the light that I can have this power, but I can't forgive what you did to Kevin." And just superhuman punches him in the chest, 
and you just hear the bones break. He falls out of his wheelchair, and it's just, uh, it's, his sound design could be rated R. <laughs> Holy shit, that was some hardcore, like, bone-breaking sounds. Literally bone-breaking. So, yeah, um, Glass is, like, bloodied mouth going everywhere, and he's, like, getting a little chuckle here and there, and we're like, what the fuck's up with this guy? Kid James McAvoy grabs Bruce Willis in a fit of anger, and instead of trying to fight him, he just picks him up and throws him into the water tank. Yep, and so now Bruce Willis is just flailing around like a kid who just got into the first two feet of a pool <laughs> and uh, is just drowning. Uh, no other words to say it. Yeah, James McAvoy hops in, and there's like a struggle, and he notices that the, the water tank is starting to crack a little bit. And uh, with all the remaining strength that he has, Bruce Willis just pounds against the side of the, the water tank, and it just completely, like, explodes, and he's able to get out of there. But he's drenched in water, and it's, like, inside his lungs. So he's he's not feeling very strong right now. Right. And the SWAT team is just sort of hanging out? Or yeah, they, did they just arrive at this point? Or? Yeah, the SWAT team, like, has just arrived. Oh, yeah. The, the uh, James McAvoy's, like like ready to just finish the job and go to the go to the tower to show everyone that superheroes exist but as he's about to leave Casey grabs his arm and she's just like Kevin Wendell Crumb and the beast is like no no don't let this happen and she says his name again and finally is able to draw Kevin out and they have a real like nice tender moment where Casey tells Kevin that he he's special and that he's super and that he doesn't need to worry about the beast anymore, that she'll be around to take care of him. And Kevin's like, yeah, you're, you're actually my friend. That's great. And just as uh, they're finally getting to see eye to eye, there's a red dot that appears on Casey's shoulder. She turns around, and boom, a sniper rifle just hits the, uh, Kevin right in the stomach. Yep, and oh, God, blood is going everywhere. Uh Kevin's just like, ah, shoot, if I was the Beast, this would have been fine, but I'm not Mm -hmm. the Beast. Yeah, because because when he's the Beast, he's basically Bruce Willis' unbreakable character, but damn it, they used used Casey to to coax out Kevin, and they gave him the chance to shoot him. Yep, so we go to the sniper that shot Kevin, Mm -hmm. and he's just got this four-leaf clover on his arm, and I'm like, hmm... He's Irish. <laughs> <laughs> That's the important part. His tattoo is Irish. Yeah. <laughs> and he's he's there. He's bleeding out. And uh, Kevin, uh, all the personalities just start trying to take their turn talking to Casey and be like, I, you know, they all have something last thing to say. And at the very last second, Kevin shows up again. And he's like, I, uh, you, you really are my, my only friend. And Casey, like, you know, with tears, nods. And he's like, well, then I'm going to hold the light to the very end. And he is able to die as Kevin instead of any of his other personalities. And just when one main character is dead, we go to Bruce Willis and we see the SWAT guys and they, you know, pick him up. It's like, oh, it's going to be super nice. They're going to help him to his feet. Nope. They (laughs) shove his head into a puddle. Like it's like made in like a a hole in the asphalt and it's a puddle of water and they shove his head into the puddle and they're drowning him and they keep drowning him. But then Sarah Paulson walks up to him and is like, David, I... Just take my hand and you'll understand. And he takes her hand and he sees the future. And uh, he sees that Sarah Paulson is part of a secret organization that hunts down superheroes. That's the twist, ladies and gentlemen. That's uh, who the Clover Gang are. Mm. They are basically evil shield. 
evil shield. Because, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's what happens, and that's when he realizes it. And she even tells him, she's like, honestly, David, I liked you, and I wanted you to still do what you were doing as a superhero. But it, when I had to come, you know, find James McAvoy and the Horde, they wouldn't let me just let you go. I had to, I had to take care of all of the, all of the supers. And just like that, Swakai drowns Bruce Willis. And that's our second dead main character. Uh, oh, man. They, they killed him in a puddle. They killed him in a puddle. I mean... God damn, I, where are my taxes going? <laughs> All these puddle hole, potholes yeah, going everywhere. Pothole. And then finally we get to Mr. Glass, and his mom stands over him, and she's like, I don't understand. You said this was going to be like the limited edition where... Where all the superheroes got together and did a showdown, and he looks at her and he's like, "It's not a limited edition. It's an origin story." Ooh, cool line. Cool line. It'd be a cool line if it was not so weirdly written. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if if we didn't have two other movies that were origin stories, and yeah, and in that moment, all three main characters are lying on the ground dead. Mm-hmm. And not in that Shyamalan twist where they're gonna come back. They're they're dead. They're gone. Like the main the people on the poster are gone. <laughs> Which then you're like, but there's still 15 minutes left in this movie. What's gonna happen? And so what happens is we see that Doctor Staple Stapler <laughs> um, tries to staple it all together by going to her like a evil uh, fucking conspiracy cult shit I don't know and tells them that the deed has been done they're all dead and they're all like "Mm, very nice (laughs) very nice (laughs) most orthodox very orthodox (laughs) very orthodox for us (laughs) yeah and she's like I'll I'll be happy to do it again next time you call upon me and then she goes to a comic book store which I guess you know she was like this will be cathartic for me and she overhears these guys talking in the background, and they're like, no, you don't get it. He's the villain because he has a plan beyond what he looked like he was having. The mastermind always has a secondary plan, and she just looks up, and she's like, oh, shit. <laughs> and she goes to uh, the security office of the asylum. She's like, delete all the files. You know, take away all the security cam footage. And they do that, but uh, Mr. Glass, it turns out, had... A little secondary plan mm, in motion. What was that? And all of the, the side characters uh, get together and they receive these strange files. Oh. And they meet up at the train station and they all kind of like take hands and they're like, is this, is it about to happen? And they're like, yep, it's about to happen. And all over the world, every single device in the entire world receives footage of the fight between uh, between uh, uh, Bruce Willis, James McAvoy, and Samuel L. Jackson, thereby proving to everybody with all of the fact that Bruce Willis bent metal, James McAvoy changed into different people, his body physiology changed, and that there was this big super fight where they just flipped cars and shit, that all of this, all superheroes are real. Yeah, and they pan out. Uh, with three side characters coming back and everyone's just getting the dings on their phone and checking it out, being like, whoa, look at this. That's crazy. And that's where our movie ends. And that's Glass. Oh, boy. 
I uh, wish this was an unbreakable movie, but we seem to have been split on. I don't know. It broke it. like glass. Yeah. Uh, like that. Damn. That's all right. It's so uh, yeah. Up. Yep. Talking about it more, it, it we have to do a lot of details because it's so much talking and so much explaining in this movie. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's it has so much less to do with them actually doing hero stuff and more about them talking about the lore of superhero dumb and what it if it actually is real, what it means to the real world, if people have been carrying this as, like, the new mythology, or if people have just been taking popular culture and applying it to themselves and being like, I want to be super. So it's... They're interesting ideas, and I would certainly be interested in, like, a college course called Philosophy of Superheroes. Yeah. But I'm not sure if I want to watch a whole movie that just is talking about the philosophy between it when it really has nothing to do with the characters themselves, necessarily. Yeah. This is such a talky movie, and it's not like a, oh, wow, what woody dialogue, or like, whoa, I never thought of it like that. It's just, oh, you're going to convince them that they're not heroes? Okay, we've done this. scene after scene of Sarah Paulson explaining, you know, people have believed that they're superheroes for years, uh, you know, people think this goes back to ancient times, but this is really just, you know, people trying to sell things. You know, there are logical explanations, and it's just so many. Like, they should have just called it Stapler instead of uh, instead of Glass, because it really feels like it's Sarah Paulson's movie at a certain point. Yeah, it, it does. And I get, I like her motivation of being like, oh, I'm trying to kill or uh, convince these superheroes that they're not superheroes, so we don't have to kill them. Mm-hmm. That's very cool and an interesting idea, but we just get given that information too late for us to really be like, oh, wow, that was so nice of her. Yeah, but there's, there's again, like, similar to the, the how, kind of how I feel about Split, there are a lot of really cool and good scenes right. and good ideas, but the execution is just so, so poor. Right, yeah. And I think that's just what we're going to have to live with with M. Night Shyamalan for, for the foreseeable future is really cool original ideas just put through the filter of, like, less than solid dialogue and interesting camera choices. We got some stuff to talk about here, so. Yeah. Uh, is there anything else you want to talk about before we get into surgery, or? I do feel like I just want to also just establish that all the performances are good, like, for what, well, not all of them. For what they are, the, the people on the poster are really good. I think, uh... Anya Taylor-Joy as Casey does a really good job, and mm-hmm. I think the woman playing uh, Mr. Glass's mom does a really good job. You don't think Joseph did so? Hard? I'm not a big fan of the, of the kid. Right. And uh, honestly, Sarah Paulson's a really good actress, but I don't think she can make her medical jargon come to life with an actual <laughs> character trait beyond, I'm going to explain. Yeah, that's true. She is just wide-eyed doughy like yeah. uh, doe-eyed girl or... I guess I guess I get why they're doing it because they're trying to paint her as you know just the psychologist who's gonna try and convince these people and you know she's just naive to what superhero dumb is right and it's part of an act but it really doesn't feel like when you go back and watch it that it, that it holds up I completely agree with that statement I wouldn't say it's bad because I'm sure that's the direction she was given mm-hmm. I don't think there's any bad performances in here, but I'm not going to fight you saying that some of them are great performances. 
And I do think some of that might just be chalked up to how do I make the things that I'm saying sound uh, like a real person said this. Yeah, like I'm gonna sombe the fuck out of you or show you something. Like that. Uh, I'm gonna I'm, don't make me go salt bay on you. I don't know. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Let's get into surgery. Okay. Well, I'm gonna figure out something. About that. <laughs> All right. Okay. Um, what is something you want to hit on? Uh, I don't know if this is a thing that you uh, also think, but I think a good way to kind of condense some of the screen, the screen time, and to just feel like we're not like running the wheels and doing everything over again is I think we should start the movie with the fight between. Uh, the Beast and uh, and Bruce Willis. I think it should start off the same way that it, the movie actually starts off because uh, the movie officially begins with uh, two of the personalities having an argument off screen, and then we see that uh, Patricia walks in and offers these cheerleaders a sandwich, uh, and then I think it should just like go into uh, Hedwig coming out and being like, "Don't worry, girls, everything will be fine. Just got to get the Beast over here." And he leaves, and in the in the chaos and confusion, the girls like struggling. They hear a sound off screen, They're like, "Oh, what's happening?" And Bruce Willis's green poncho shows up in the doorway, and he rescues them. And we're like, "Oh, cool!" And then if they're trying to do this whole superhero thing, that's the perfect superhero opening. And we don't have to deal with all. We don't have to deal with Salt Bay, and we don't have to deal with M Night Shyamalan's cameo, and just extra scenes of the. Because I like James McAvoy's personalities. But tell me what we learned by that very first scene of the personalities arguing and Hedwig talking about his girlfriend. Like, we could have just had that, a short version of that, and then have Bruce Willis's character show up. I completely agree. <laughs> I think you just, opening scene, save the girls. They, after that, get quarantined or whatever. Mm-hmm. I get why they did it, of having, like, this, hey, I'm Bruce Willis, and I beat people up. Also, I was in class, and I hate blah, blah, blah. And then we have Hedwig be like, yeah, three weeks ago, I was blah, blah, blah. Because for the people that haven't seen the movies, um, you want to give them that little exposition dump. But that's the only thing they do. They don't really catch anyone else up. And at that point, you know, your audience is there who has at least seen Split... I mean, even if they haven't, like, you're... It's like taking the time to explain things that you don't need to do explanations of them. Because all you really need is to just see Barry turn into Patricia, Patricia turn into Hedwig, Hedwig leave the room, Bruce Willis shows up, and he literally just can rip off the iron bar with his hands. Oh, you know he's strong. And, like, I don't know, if he brushes up against one of the girls and sees, like, what you know, reuniting with their mom, it's like, oh, okay we know he can also see the future. And then when he's trying to get the girls out, you see the beast climbing on the ceiling and drop down, and he's like a more muscular version of James McAvoy. Oh, I get it. This is the personality we should be... We don't We don't need the whole talking scenes. Yeah. Nope. I uh, I agree with that. So, yeah, I that cuts out like 15 minutes, and you get straight into it. And even later on, you could have flashbacks to like maybe... An, an adventure that Bruce Willis went on with his son. Because also, Bruce Willis should, like, do a thing where he's talking to his son, like, on the walkie or whatever. Mm-hmm. He's like, uh, all right, I got the girls. What's the best extraction point or something like that? And then, you know, you can see him in the chair and be like, all right, you should get him out this way. Yep. And you got all the explanation you need in five minutes. 
And he'll just be like, hey, son, where's the blah, blah, blah. So you know he's the son. Exactly. But cool. I, I, we're in agreement on that. Um, I sort of wish we got the revelation of the conspiracy secret organization earlier mm-hmm. rather than the last seven minutes or so. I wish that was a midpoint twist because that's a new thing that's sort of happening right now where you have a midpoint uh, twist that changes everything. I can't. I can't think of any movies on the top of my head, but that has when, been. spoilers for I guess Spider Man. You got yeah, yeah. I don't know. If you've seen, seen Spider, wait, wait, wait. Did Homecoming or uh, uh, bo- Far From Home? Them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Both okay. of them have like a midpoint twist. Basically. Okay, yeah. So something like that where you're like, oh, I thought this was one thing, but now it's completely changed, and now the second half is dealing with that new change. Because then, like, what if? And maybe as the audience, we don't know about it, but it's sort of like hinted out. And maybe one night um, Bruce Willis gets a visit from Glass and is like, hey, just so you know, this is a secret organization trying to kill us all and blah, blah, blah. And if you're Bruce Willis, you're like, yo, dude, you are fucking nuts. What are you talking about? Four leaf clovers and like. Because I think at that point, which is the second thing that I want to do is if we're going to spend most of the movie at the asylum, like within and, and conversations about what it means to be a superhero or what it means to not be a superhero, the character should interact more. And I do agree that if we're going to, I want to kind of combine these two things now is that they, they will know that they're there and maybe there's even some other patients. Cause we don't even see any other patients yeah. until they like, so I can hurt it off to the other side. Cause the first time I saw the movie, I thought that it was just it was a rundown facility that they had made spe- like they specially rented for the three of them. Right. And then at the very end, it's like no, 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 get the other patients away from the windows. It's like oh, okay, it's a whole thing. Right. So I think that they should have like some interaction, like you know, make it kind of like a jail where you know they get outside time, but there's somebody always with one of those flashy lights, and you get to see them actually like almost compete like you know they wouldn't necessarily fight each other but they could even do like the the bench press thing that he that bruce willis did in unbreakable uh, and like the beast comes out and is like you think you you think you're so much better than me and like you know things are going to be a little bit silly you're going to talk about salt bay you can have a lifting <laughs> contest yeah yeah i i don't disagree because of that then samuel L. jackson should come and the reveal that he has not been sedated should come from him telling bruce willis to be like hey this is a secret organization that they're they're only trying to convince us that we're not superheroes because uh, you know they they don't want more of us running around in the world. And but. maybe his whole idea is like I've been acting like I'm sedated so I can leave mm-hmm. at one point. Like I'm gonna make them look like they did. Uh, what's the uh, brain altering shit? A lobotomy. Yeah, lobotomy, and then be like, oh, I'm lobotomized. Now I'm gonna run and blah blah blah. Mm-hmm. He's sort of telling Bruce Willis this because. Um, Bruce Willis is like, why are you telling me this? This sounds like a bunch of crap. And he's like, yo, supers, look out for each other, you know, <laughs> something like that. Because it would also be cool if that's that's when he says that it's a secret organization, but we don't actually see it. And that's right. what it is. And Bruce Willis, because at this point, midpoint, I would say that Sarah Paulson's probably done her job of, like, convincing him that he's not super anymore. Right. Because then we could even return to whatever that weightlifting contest was. And he's like, I can't do it. And, like... He's now convinced himself he can't do it. Yeah, because he we only we don't really see Bruce Willis having this big internal conflict about that, except him like pacing back and forth in his room. It's just the one scene where all three of them are together, and she gives them you know good evidence that you know they're not superheroes, and yeah, and then it's a gigantic like twenty plus minute break before you see Bruce Willis again, which I get why they did it, but you 
you know, you had time to put, to take Casey to a comic book store. You had time to get Bruce Willis's son at the computer. Like, there's enough time. Yeah, they could have figured it out. And, yeah, okay. Yeah. So, but yeah, I do think it's just an overall thing. That I do like the idea of them being at the asylum for most of the movie and having those conversations. But yeah, I don't... I'm trying to think of more specifics of, like, having the three of them interact with each other. Because... Uh, that's the coolest part of the movie is when they're all like all in a room together and like being convinced they're not superheroes. I agree. So just more scenes like that. Well, and they work well off each other too. Yeah. Like, I mean, Glass doesn't really have to a lot to do in that scene, but whenever Bruce Willis and James McAvoy are in the same scene or like area, you like feel like the rivalry a bit yeah. going on. Yeah, because if they also even had a rivalry going on that like. You're expecting this big showdown between them, and you get it. Like, the showdown... That's how superhero movies work. (laughs) Is the showdown feels cathartic when the characters have had to actually, like, put themselves up against each other, and, like, there's an... Like, it's almost evenly matched, or the bad guys that have the upper hand, so that if the good guy wins in the showdown, it feels so great, and then if the bad guy wins, it's tragic. But if they've only fought once and all they did was throw a table back and forth <laughs> and then they were in a room together once where they both thought they weren't superheroes anymore, that's not... If you're trying to do the showdown, that's not a good showdown. Uh, again, I do yeah. not disagree. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, what, what else are you feeling? Um, the ending when everyone gets a text or email about, oh, hey, watch the Superman thing, like, blah, blah, blah. I'll give Shyamalan, like, all right, in this world, people would look at that and be like, wow, I believe that. But that feels like a very 90s thing where you just believe whatever's on the internet, where it's like, yeah, totally, blah, blah, blah. I just don't think in today's world with Drake and Sambe, I don't think people would believe that. Yeah. Do you think that maybe it'd be better if, in addition to the footage of themselves, like the fight that happened outside the courtyard, Samuel L. Jackson has gotten footage of other people being superheroes. Like, and he's made that into kind of a compilation where it's like, you know, someone in, like, Honduras has, like, fire powers and, like, you know, has been, uh, you know, the the Tegucigalpa uh, <laughs> arsonist or whatever. And, like, you know, st- stuff like that where you, you see more than just two people doing things like punch each other and bend metal, which... You could fake pretty easily. Oh, yeah, in a heartbeat, especially in today's vintage. What I was thinking about, and similar to that idea, is that that whole asylum is actually just full with supers. Oh, that that should be cool. um, Yeah, so when they're hurting people away, it's like, hey, don't look at this. This is all fake. Like, don't don't pay attention to the two people fighting. They're all people that they've convinced aren't superheroes. Or, like, in the process. Yeah. So, it... (laughs) What happens is when people see the video, maybe they're skeptical, and I get this wouldn't work narratively, but in the real world, people would see this and be like, oh, okay, so, like, the people that say this is fake, let us into this same asylum and see it. And then, you know, the four the cool over guys are like, no, you got nothing to see here. And then it becomes like a raid on Area 51. <laughs> <laughs> Um, or, or mass protests where they're yeah. trying to get, like, show us who's in there and, like, oh, you're imprisoning these people, like, blah, blah, blah. And then that's sort of how it comes out that, yep, there are supers and they're being oppressed yeah. and you should uh, stand up for that. I think it's interesting, yeah, and do that. And, like, maybe there's, like, a couple facilities, like, throughout the country and this is, you know, 
one of them because yeah, there's, you know, whatever, the worldwide organization where they just heard yeah. all the people from, like, Europe is in, you know, some German facility and, like, you know, in Asia, it's somewhere in China, like, that whole thing. It, their headquarters is in Ireland. <laughs> <laughs> ah, because of the Clover. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's actually the concentration of supers is all in Ireland, <laughs> and they all came out from there. I think that's a really good ending beat and also a way of, like, making making the real-world aspects of it integrate pretty well into what the superhero world would be. Yeah, because then it is just, like, it is a moment in history where we're like, oh, shit, you know, superheroes are real. And um, it's a big moment, and you can totally see Glass, like, plotting that out, being like, no one's believing me. I've been doing all this crazy shit, and no one believes me still. This is my... Like swan, swan song, or my magnum opus, and uh, and then it works. So good for him. And in a way, then Glass is the hero of the movie. Yeah, which is like it's such a one eighty. I mean, yeah, he's still like kind of the hero of the quote unquote the hero of the movie because he is trying to, you know, expose superheroes. Because I guess they're trying to say that now the organization that kills superheroes is the bad guy. Right. But we can't forget that he blew up buildings, destroyed a train, and, like, killed hundreds of people. That's true. But he would be like, it's all in the name of science and progression of the human blah, blah, blah. And he'll be like, I'm Einstein or Thomas Jefferson. You, they all looked at those guys being like, he, they're crazy. But then they uh, achieved this greatness and world uh, changed the world for the mm-hmm. better. And that's, like, his justification for it all. It's yeah. like, in the end... There will be deaths, but the uh, the many the the problems of the many outweigh the problems of the few. Something, whatever Star Trek yeah. line that is, um, and that's how he justifies it. And now he also has a good justification for everything. And then it is still his movie. Do you think that any of the other side characters should have more stuff to do, or do you think we should focus most of our energy on the three mains? Because I do, because I like that they have stuff to do. Because they are, you know, it's it's the superhero trope of the sidekick, like is actually more powerful than they think, and they, you know, have the information. It's one of those things, but it just also feels like we did, we just need to develop these guys a little bit more, and to get them like into a place where the showdown matters. Yeah, I'm trying to figure out how you do that, because. They just really don't have anything to do with the movie, and except the things that they're given, where it's like, I'm at a I'm at a comic book shop. Yeah. Oh, this guy's at a comic book shop too. Oh, Mrs. Glass, whatever, is on her really old Apple computer. Because I think uh, part of it could be like earlier on that Bruce Willis' son comes in, and he's like, Oh, I've got a, I've got a way of getting you out, and he's like, Don't worry, I. I realize that I'm not actually a hero and like they could actually have a an argument or something and that might be when, you know, his son's like, No, Dad, you don't need to have powers just to be a hero, you're my hero, but you do also have powers. It can be one of those things and maybe even Casey or Mrs. Glass like helps with the with the escape. But just like because Casey, you know, wants to help Kevin, but she's and Mr. Glass like tricks her into thinking that Kevin's actually okay, but he's, you know, right. killed or whatever. And obviously Mrs. Glass is going to help because, like, she's going to help her son. Yeah. I think maybe what uh, Ellie Stapler does is, like, 
there's not just like a group therapy for the three main guys, but also group therapy for the other family members where mm-hmm. it's like, hey, you you believed this thing and that was just crazy. Like, I, we need to compare you guys to like cult members. Like, you think everything mm-hmm. in, the, in the light makes sense, but take a step back. Like, this doesn't make sense. Like, you guys are following this narrative that's just insane and blah, blah, blah. And maybe they also try and get convinced. And that's, like, the only thing I can think of them doing together. I think that's, yeah, I think that's still cool, too. Especially if, like, you can do a scene where all six or seven of them are, like, in a room together. And then there's... Because I do think the different dynamics are super interesting of, like, having, you know, someone like Mrs. Glass, like, treating uh, Bruce Willis. Like, she... Uh, like, like, he's the bad guy for, like, you know, getting her son in prison for, like, 20 years. And, like, I don't know... Uh, Casey looking at Mr. Glass and being like, oh, I, I can tell that there's something else going on. You know, you're not actually sedated. Like, you know, they have kind of a similar intelligence level mm-hmm. and just, you know, more, more of that kind of stuff. If, the, if they get convinced and then we see the stuff where in, instead of uh, his son checking on the computer, like, as more evidence if he's already been convinced, this is like his last straw to be like, I don't know if I, if I believe this. And then he sees that. Kevin's dad died on the train. It's like, okay, this is evidence that, like, there's been a bigger plot. Casey goes to the comic book store and, you know, sees the, you know, the panel of the beast ripping open the thing. And she's like, oh, someone actually predicted this. This is like, you know, it's fate. This is actually real. Hmm. So, yeah, it would make the scenes that already exist make more sense if they had more time to hang out with their respective people and also can be convinced that they might not be supers. Is uh, the four-leaf clover organization actually the distributor distributor of comics? Where it's like, oh, it's the Marvel and the DC, and they just <laughs> they tell stories about their personal experiences. I would think that would be a bad idea if they're trying to convince the world that there's no superheroes. I know, but it's a side hustle, you know? <laughs> so <laughs> they got to make money somehow to kill all these supers. And that could be part of the ending twist, though, is that, like, whoever's the, like, the writer or, like, the main person used to be a member of the, the Black Clover, mm-hmm. uh, and they're called, like, the Gold Clover Ooh. or whatever. Uh, and the and yeah, that's the name, like the name of the thing. And then Casey shows up and is like, "What's happening?" Is like they've been trying to kill supers for years, and that's when they all show up at the place together. I actually like that a lot. <laughs> it's a whole secret organization. Yep, and because then you also get that one guy, the comic book writer, sounding like a lunatic oh, too. Yeah. Where it's like, "No, it's a four leaf clover. Trust me." And uh, <laughs> also, just a fun fact: the guy from who's in the comic book shop is the same guy who was in the Unbreakable comic book shop. 20 years earlier. Wow. They That's got a lot of the cool. same actors to show up and do the same, like, the same roles. Nice. Good good on you, Shyamalan. Uh, I don't think I have too much else because it really is just such broad strokes. Yeah, and the, the thing is they don't have, like, they don't fail in specific parts. I mean, they do, but nothing, since it's so talky, mm-hmm. it is just like... Let's do some stuff when we're talking, guys. Yeah, I'm, I'm an advocate for character development and talking, but... Your action movie has two action scenes. <laughs> uh, and I, again, similar to like, you know, the weightlifting contest, I want to see the real, because he's doing a realistic portrayal of what a, two super strong dudes would do. And I think you should, they should uh, have an, like one or two other fights where you see, you know, Bruce Willis and James McAvoy just like beat the shit out of each other and nothing happens because they're indestructible. Yeah. Like, and it's just, there could be even a, like a breaking point where, uh, I don't know, some other time where Bruce Willis figures out how to get the beast, like, out of there, and, like, he might even flash the light, 
and he sees an opening, and he could he could kill like uh, Kevin or whoever like if he wanted to, and then he, then he takes a step back like, no, that's not what a hero would do, you know, something like that. I don't know. Yeah. But okay. Just more more fights because it is it's as silly as it was. It's kind of cool to just see the fucking bear hug and just like the slow walk out the window. I don't know it's a different style of fighting that you don't see. In movies, well, it's, it's like about. a real fight, actually. Yeah. Like most fights aren't like, oh, go back, make your uh, super punch. Duh. Oh, the vibrant. It's just like a tussle, a yeah. wrestling match, basically. Because yeah, most times, if you're gonna punch something, it's gonna hurt your hand. You're gonna need like a thing or like, you know, when that thing happens where people punch and like another arm blocks. <laughs> yeah. You ever hit like a forearm on a forearm? Like that's bone to bone. That hurts. Ugh, God. Like, it it makes sense why they would it be slower and I, yeah that. The stuff that they have right, they just need to do more of. I do not disagree. We are not split on this. <laughs> oh, I finally made one of those work. <laughs> our, our, uh, what we agree on is unbreakable. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, I don't have anything else really to talk about. No, not me neither. I think the, the main takeaway here, and I keep saying it, is just that he, I, have, I have such a split idea on how I feel about M. Night Shyamalan. <laughs> Because I do respect the ideas, and I do respect a lot of how he goes about doing some of them. And then the other half of the time, I'm like, what were you thinking? Ooh-wee. I mean, listen, if you're going to self-finance your like next your th- last three movies, you can do whatever you want. That's like, true. Because the fun fun facts, I guess we'll get out of surgery and get into the fun facts section. Sure. Uh, the, the Visit, Split, might not, maybe not The Visit, but at least Split and Glass were all funded by M. Night Shyamalan. Like, studios, like, agreed to distribute his movies, and, like, Jason Blum, like, was there as, like, a creative partner. But the brunt of the uh, of the cost of the movies came directly out of M. Night Shyamalan and, like, his own production company, like, out of his pocket. Damn. And that's, like, Split cost $9 million, Glass cost $20 million, and that's that's a guy's own money that he put on the line that he believed in this these two stories enough to, like put almost 30 million of his own dollars on the line. I respect that. And I, but hey, the two movies made like $500 million total worldwide. So I think, I think the joke's on the rest of us. Yeah, I agree. Yep. Uh, And also just fun facts about the movies that uh, Mrs. Glass is also from Unbreakable. They brought her back after 20 years. The comic book guy uh, is back. Uh, as annoying as M. Night Shyamalan's cameo is, he's actually playing the same character he did in his Unbreakable cameo. Yeah. Uh, and Split, right? Uh, no, he's playing a different guy in Split. Because I think in Split, he's playing a computer... Uh, not like a computer hacker, but like a computer guy. Okay. And I think he might be the same character. But it's more it's more easier to tell that Unbreakable to Split is the same guy. Okay. And, uh, Unbreakable to Glass is the same guy. And Split might be the same guy. Hmm. But... Yeah, and it's it's an idea that I I thought is is a really cool idea, having two unrelated, just completely on their own movies, and then a third movie that like brings characters of each one together, like and it comes from the same person, so it's not a crossover. It's just the next movie in in someone's line of work. Yeah, it's probably the second best uh, uh, universe in Hollywood right now. Uh, I put it at third universe because Marvel goes up first in the Conjuring universe. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. That's fair. That's fair. Because I'm not even put DC there because DC's individual movies are fine. Right. And then when they try and team up, it's like, all right, guys, let's back up. Yep. 
completely agree. Considering Unbreakable is one of the movies in this universe, I would say that it's already a pretty good universe. Yeah, that's true. Very, very true. All right. Well, that's it for me. I believe that's it for you, too. Right, yes, Sam? Yes, sir. Let's, uh, let's tell the people where they can find us. Yes, if you want to follow us and get our newest content, make sure to like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, at just Dr. Script. If you want to tweet at us, we are Dr. Script Podcast, like Dr. Script Podcast, but abbreviated. And we have an email now also. Uh, you can get us at Dr. spelled out script podcast at gmail.com all spelled out and yeah uh, we love reading your guys's uh, reading your guys's takes on everything what you would want to change and just in general like say hi yeah, exactly and uh, after you're done saying hi uh, subscribe on iTunes wherever you get your podcasts and please if you've got five stars in your heart lend them to us Lend a review. Tell us what we're doing right, what we're doing wrong. We would love to hear from you, what you think, how how we can do anything to improve. If you, you know, if there's a genre of movie we haven't done or a, a franchise that we haven't touched on, please let us know. Yeah, any feedback is good feedback for us. Uh, thank you for listening, and I am glad. Uh, we're done. <laughs> <laughs> We're David done. Yeah. <laughs> Boom. Got it. This is this is Patricia signing off. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, see you guys later.